Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. For the next two weeks, we're going to study one of the most revered stories Jesus ever told, and it's so rich. There was a morning this week as I was studying the story that I just wept over the sheer goodness of God. That's how rich this story is. And I hope and pray so much that that goodness can get conveyed to you today. It's a story of a father and two sons. Uh, Today we'll look at the younger son. Uh, Next week we'll look at the older son. Uh, Let's read the story from Luke 15, 11 to 24. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is a story about a son who had two choices. He could live at home with the father, or to use the language of the story, he could live in a distant country. And every day in our lives, we choose between these two alternatives as well. I can choose to live at home with the father, Uh, And if I were to sum up what it is that I want for my spiritual life and your spiritual life, it would be this single phrase, to live at home with the Father. Uh, When I live at home with the Father, I invite God to be with me all day, and I'm in constant communication with him. When I'm at home with the Father, uh, I'm able to say to him, if there's anything in me that displeases you, uh, I want you to get rid of it. When I'm at home with the Father, I remember what my primary identity is. I'm a beloved child. When I'm at home with the Father, I'm not easily threatened or worried or fearful. When I'm at home with the Father, I remember I'm perfectly safe in his hand, so I'm not easily discouraged. 
When I'm at home with the Father, I know that when problems or challenges come, he's right there with me. That's God's deepest desire for you and me, that we would live at home with the Father. But then there's another way to do life. We can live in a distant country, far away from the Father. When I'm in a distant country, I'm not thinking about God. When I'm in a distant country, I don't want to be reminded of God because then I feel guilty for some of the choices I'm making. When I'm in a distant country, I find sins like uh, deceiving someone or gossiping increasingly attractive. When I'm in a distant country away from God, I, I don't have an inner sense of freedom in life. When I'm in a distant country, I feel weighed down because I know something is wrong within me. When I'm in a distant country, I feel hurried and uh, easily irritated and easily uh, threatened. When I'm in a distant country, I may search for moments of pleasure, but I don't have this sustained joy. So here's the deal. We can live at home with the Father, or we can live in a distant country. Maybe you're in a distant country right now. So Jesus tells this story about a boy who reaches a series of crossroads or decision points. And we're going to look at these decision points. Uh, There are four of them in the life of this lost son. And I'd like you to consider each of them. Consider what you choose when you're faced with similar points of decision in your life. The first point is reached, in a sense, before the story even begins. Uh, It's what might be called the point of temptation. One day the thought occurs to this young son, living at home is a burden. I'd be happier away from the father. I'd be happier without all these constraints on my life. Here at home, I always have to do what the father says. I have to work in the fields. I have to eat at his table. I have to follow his rules. My life would be better if I had no rules. I could be my own boss. And you know what? It will occur to everyone at some point in our spiritual journey I wonder if I would be happier if I were on my own. I don't know if I trust that if I stay at home with the Father, it will lead to the best life. Maybe you're having these kinds of thoughts right now. Maybe you're tempted to enter into a relationship that you know will dishonor God. Uh, You know it, but it feels like it'll bring love or happiness or pleasure, so you wanna leave home. Maybe you're just tired of being faithful in a task or in a ministry or as a parent or spouse or friend, and you feel like if I could just escape and run away, I would be happier. Maybe you're tired of honoring God financially by giving, by uh, by tithing, by being generous, by by dealing honestly with your finances. If you took shortcuts, you'd have more to enjoy. You'd, you, you know, you're tempted to leave home financially. This prodigal son says, my life would be better if I could just get out of here. But here's what he never does. He never thinks it all the way through. He sees the initial allure of temptation, but he never thinks about the consequences. He never sees himself far from home, cut off from the love of the Father, alone, unloved. If you're entering into a temptation right now, I want to ask that you think it all the way through. If you're unfaithful in your relational life, if you bail on responsibility, if you sacrifice your financial integrity, do you really think that you're going to get to the end of your life without regret? Do you think you can cheat God that way? 
Have you thought about what the consequences will be? I heard a story of a man who was away on a business trip and was approached in an elevator by a woman who invited him to her room and he could have gotten away with it. I mean, he was far away from home. Uh, no one probably would have ever known anything about it. He would have never seen this woman again. Um, and he, he said that a verse of scripture flashed in his mind like it was on a white screen staring him in the face. If you sow to the lust of the flesh, you will reap the destruction of the flesh. He thought through the consequences. Maybe you're contemplating steps right now that if you take them, they'll lead to pain and misery and brokenness. Everything in your future rests right now on whether you're willing to do the hard work of thinking through the consequences. If you do, you'll be spared enormous suffering. Well, the young son in the story doesn't do that. He just entertains these thoughts for who knows how long. And you can't just keep toying with this idea of sin forever. I mean, if you keep contemplating it and imagining how good it will be, if you don't trust that the Father really does have uh, the best life in store for you, the next step will be irresistible. One day the young son just decides to leave. Look at verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Another translation says, give me the share of my property that will belong to me. And this leads us to the second crossroads, which we'll call the point of action. He crossed the border now from toying with the idea to actually carrying it out. And he convinced himself that he has a right to his father's property, although legally and ethically it belonged to his father. Uh, now, the reality here is if we toy around with the idea of sin long enough, we will move to action. And I'll tell you when it will happen. It will happen as soon as we find an acceptable rationale to do it. Rationalizing is uh, universal among fallen people. Uh, we will do something that violates our values as soon as we deceive ourselves into thinking it's okay. When I was in middle school, I found a movie in my parents' bedroom that I knew I shouldn't watch. Uh, it was an adult movie. Uh, I thought to myself, I shouldn't watch this. Uh, I could get in trouble. And besides, this kind of movie only reinforces immoral values. Uh, okay, I didn't think that as a middle school student, but it was true. Uh, but I did think, well, if my parents are watching it, it's probably okay for me to watch. And I also thought, I need to learn about the adult world sooner or later, and really this is kind of an educational thing. Uh, it made sense to me that this was for educational purposes. And so I watched the movie. And while I was watching the movie, my mom came home and continued my education. Uh, she did not put the best robe on me or a ring on my finger or sandals on my feet. Uh, someone got killed, but it was not the fatted calf. Uh, I learned something that day about the power of rationalizing, of violating something that I knew to be right. And kids are not the only ones who are good at rationalizing. Uh, adults are good at rationalizing. Now, this is where we need to get real serious. Uh, maybe you've crossed the line from contemplating sin to action. Uh, you've had inappropriate conversations with someone to whom you're not married. Uh, you've already begun to look at things and fantasize about things that you would be ashamed of if they were brought into the light. You've already begun to pad your expense accounts in ways that you know are unethical. 
You're engaged in addictive patterns of behavior. There's a pattern of lying to avoid trouble. And the reason these things go on is we tell ourselves as we come up to these actions, you know, this really isn't that bad. Or other people do worse things. Or the reason I exploded in anger is this other person's fault for, for provoking me. Or, I, you know, I live in the real world and this is what it takes to succeed. And so the question for you today is, will you be honest? Acknowledge that you need to stop rationalizing your actions and face up to what you're doing to yourself and what you're doing to the heart of God the Father. This is a real interesting thing. In this story, the action that the young son takes is he says to his dad, I want to have my inheritance and leave home now. And it's important that we understand the nature of this request. This is not the story of a young man who is out to appropriately assert his independence and explore the world. Uh, this request means he wants his father to die. The son comes to his father and says, I want what's coming to me when you die, and I don't want to wait until you die to get it. Uh, I want to live as if you're dead right now. To choose sin, to choose to live in a distant country is, in effect, to say to God the Father, I wish to live as if you were dead, as if you had no claim on me or my life. Now, in some ways, the most remarkable response of this story is what comes next. The son says to his father, I want my inheritance and I want to leave. Yet the father does not do what all of Jesus' listeners would have expected any normal father to do. The father does not smack his son upside the head and kick him out of the house. The father does not disown his son. The father takes what rightfully belongs to himself, what would sustain him in his old age, and the father freely gives it to his son. And it's at this point that Jesus' listeners would have been outraged. I mean, because it's not the response they were expecting. The father doesn't have to do this. No normal father would ever do such a thing. No normal father would respond like this to a request that was so disrespectful. Yet the father allows the son to leave. It's part of what's so amazing about this story. This is a, a radically different kind of love. Uh, this is a story about a God who gives freedom to his children, even when that freedom will cause him immense pain because he hungers so deeply to be in a love relationship with free children. The son defies the father, defies his obligations, defies the, the call of gratitude. He says, I want to live as if you were dead, and he moves to a distant country. And then the next phase is inevitable. Look at verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He convinces himself that it's okay to do this. He turns temptation into action, and he wastes very little time doing it. The text says, the text says not long after that, he went. Now, when we're moving into sin, we don't spend time thinking or reflecting over it. Sin is always in a hurry because it knows it's based on a lie. The son knows that he will be rejected by the whole community for what he does. So not long after that, he takes it all, travels to a distant country, and wastes his money on wild living. And we'll look at the next point of decision in just a moment. 
So the younger son in this story has made a decision that leads him away from home, away from his father and family. His decision sent him down a dangerous and destructive path. I recently read a quote by author and theologian C.S. Lewis where he said, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. You see, choices change us. And the choices you make determine the direction of your life. The end result, he says, is that with each choice, we slowly find harmony with God in ourselves or hatred for God in ourselves. With each decision you make, you are moving toward one or the other. So the question becomes, what prepares you for the points of temptation and action that you will face? The answer is spiritual formation. The process of being formed into the image of Christ. A shift away from instant gratification and into an intentional and continual commitment to the process of growing in Christ-centered living. We exist as a church to help you in your journey of spiritual formation so that the central part of you is in harmony with God. If you would like some suggested resources for spiritual practices that will guide you in your journey toward Jesus, email me at scotthouse at blueoakschurch.org and I would be happy to respond. Don't wait until the moment of decision to know the choice you'll make. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue our look at this familiar story. All right, now this younger son hits the next point of decision. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one, no one gave him anything. This is the point of pain. If we live in a distant country long enough, sooner or later, there will be pain. This son was alone and he was desperate and he had no hope. And the question is, how is he gonna respond to pain? What is he gonna do when he hits the wall? I've had a number of surgeries in my life. Each time I ask the doctor, what can I expect after the surgery? Each time uh, they give me a one word answer. You know what the answer is? Pain. And there are two ways of dealing with the pain. There's medication, uh, but that's not really dealing with the pain at the source. It's masking the pain for a while. The other way is facing the pain. Eventually, if I wanna get well, uh, I'm going to have to go through rehab and deliberately experience pain to build up my body until the pain is gone. Two ways to face pain. This is a major crossroads in the spiritual life. What are you going to do when you hit pain? This young son hits a wall of pain, and here's a key point. He no longer has the means to avoid facing it. No more money, no more parties, no more distractions. In order to survive, he has to take care of pigs. Now, Jesus probably chose pigs in this story because they were unclean animals. Uh, to eat them was forbidden by any devout Jew. 
And in order to survive, this son had to care for pigs, which was a despised job that would have brought shame on him if anyone knew about it. And so he knows pain. But then Jesus says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he finally acknowledged reality. My father's hired help eat better and have a better life than I do. He came to his senses. Another version of the Bible interprets it this way. When he realized what he was doing, it's kind of like a wake-up call. Maybe you need a wake-up call about something in your life. Maybe there's an area of pain through which God wants to uh, do work in you. Maybe you're in a painful season in your marriage. Maybe you know the pain of uh, feeling unfulfilled in your life. Maybe it's the pain of uh, living to please other people all the time and you feel empty inside. Maybe you're in pain right now because there's, a, uh, there's guilt or uh, sin that you've never really dealt with. And here's the choice that we're faced with right now. We can mask the pain. Uh, we can distract ourselves by getting little momentary happiness fixes, you know, watching too much TV to help us escape, uh, spend money as a distraction, uh, focus on achieving as a way to not think about the pain, uh, get momentary uh, happiness from pleasure, uh, avoid pain by being busy. Or maybe you find yourself wanting to engage in negative escapist types of behaviors like drinking too much or eating a box of chocolates or listening to country western music. <laughs> uh, people get addicted to these kinds of activities as a way uh, to numb the pain. Or we can courageously face the pain in our lives today. We can acknowledge, I feel pain and I know ultimately it's over my sin or it's about this uh, inner emptiness inside of me, or it's about the uh, relational failure that I've experienced, or it's about the disappointments. And with the help of God, I'm gonna quit running away to a distant country. I will deal with it directly. I will spend time alone reflecting on it, and I'll pray for wisdom about it, and I'll talk with wise and discerning friends. I'll chart a course of action and forcefully pursue it. Well, here at this third point of decision, this young son faces the most severe pain that he's ever experienced, and he faces the truth, and he wouldn't have done it without pain. So question, how much pain do you wanna go through? Jesus says he came to his senses, and then he rehearses a little speech. Uh, he decides that he's gonna go home. Look what he says, verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, and then he kind of composes this little speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he's in pain and he decides to go back, but he doesn't envision going back and being fully at home with his father. Uh, he doesn't consider that to be a possibility. He's gonna go back and his intention is to be a hired servant. As a hired servant, it would be different than being a son. He'll be a free man with his own income, uh, living independently in the village. And maybe he can maintain a certain level of autonomy and be able to pay his father back, at least partially. Uh, he may be able to uh, kind of redeem himself. Uh, he may be able to perform valuable services for his employer, uh, but he will not know the intimacy of a son 
with a father. The fourth crossroads, this final decision is, will you live as the hired servant or as the child of God? And this is the point of transition. I wonder if maybe for you, if you were fully honest, you would have to say today, I understand what it is to be a hired servant. You know, I try to do things for God, uh, but I don't know what it is to live simply as a loved son or daughter. I don't know God like that. I mean, I've, I've heard words like that before, uh, but I don't know him like that. You need to travel with this son right now as we walk through the rest of this story. Uh, this desperate, starving boy makes the long journey back to his village, utterly crushed by his defeat, uh, and he knows uh, what to expect. He's thinking about that moment when he reaches his village, like every step on the journey, how he's going to face hostility and open humiliation. He'll face it not just from his father and his father's household, but from the whole village. Uh, but he reaches the outskirts of the village and word begins to spread from one home to another. He's back, you know, the prodigal son is back. He's so skinny and he can, you can hardly even recognize him. He, he's lost everything that belongs to his father. And there's something else you need to know. Uh, what this meant was, you know, money from the land that belonged to his father ended up going to the Gentiles. And land was such a precious thing to the Israelites that uh, they actually had a ceremony. Like if you lost property, a great deal of money or land to the Gentiles, there was a ceremony in which you would be cut off from the village and community, and the son would know all about this. Jesus' listeners knew all about this. He knew to expect this. And of course, the father knows what would happen. If his son comes back, as soon as he comes into the village on his way home, I mean, he'll be mocked and he'll be taunted and maybe even physically abused by the village um, that he's scandalized. So the son comes walking up to the village and the people are gathering for this climactic moment in the story. And then Jesus says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And then one of the most wonderful phrases in all of scripture that Jesus says about the father, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's the only time in the Bible where God is pictured as running. And something we need to understand is a, a Middle East nobleman with a long robe never ran. I mean, for him to pull up his robe and show his bare legs in that culture was unheard of. I mean, it would be like a, a CEO of a company today running through the office in his underwear. I mean, it was just unheard of. It was also a violation of dignity for a noble person to run. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher wrote, great men never run. Great men are run too. Uh, you never see CEOs and kings and popes running. Uh, people run to them. Like running is done by children, by those who are desperate or needy or too eager or afraid. But do you see here? Jesus is saying, this is the heart of God. This father's heart is so full that he forgets everything. He forgets his dignity, he forgets his robe, he forgets everyone who's watching, and he sees only this starving, exhausted son that he had given up for dead. Only now his son is coming back home and the father takes off like a running back out of the backfield. 
And then for what happens next, there are no words. The father doesn't say anything at all. No lecture. Uh, he doesn't say anything about the boy's past. And in the absence of words, he says so much. In the absence of words, he says everything. The father throws his arms around the son that he thought was lost to him, and he can't let him go. And he just starts kissing his son. And the way Jesus says the word kissing, it's, it could be translated that he just kisses him over and over and over and he can't stop. And for who knows how long, there are no words, just tears and embraces and kisses that say what words could never say. This is the heart of God toward you, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, this is the heart of God toward you. God doesn't want you to live as a hired servant. He wants you to live as his beloved daughter and son. If you just turn to him, he longs to run to you and to throw his arms around you and to kiss you over and over and not let you go. That's the heart of God who Jesus came to proclaim. Finally, the son speaks. And notice what the son says, how it's different from this, the draft uh, speech of his. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, do you see how it's different? When the son actually speaks, there's no mention at all of the hired servant plan. He doesn't say, I want to be your hired servant. Now, some people think that the reason the son doesn't say that is because the father interrupts him and cuts him off. Uh, it could be, although the text doesn't say that. I think it's more likely that something else is going on. I think the son is just stunned by the unimaginable expression of love from his father. I think the son had anticipated returning a thousand times and he had sketched out in his mind every imaginable scenario except one. I think he was expecting punishment. I think he was expecting public ridicule. I think he was expecting his father to banish him from his home forever. I think he thought through every scenario except one. I don't think he ever considered the possibility that his father would be the one to run to him. This son sees his father as if for the first time. I think the son had no idea until that moment of what his father's heart was toward him. He realizes in that moment, the money was never the issue. It was the relationship between the father and the son that he nearly destroyed. It was the heart of a father that had been broken. And you know what? It's the same for you and me. I think the son realized in that moment with his father's arms wrapped around him, kissing him over and over, he doesn't want to be away from uh, the father. He doesn't want to be away from home any anymore, not even the distance of a hired servant. And then the father wants everyone to know, the whole village to know, his son is fully restored. And so he has the servants dress the boy in his finest robe, the way they would dress a king. He puts a ring on him as a sign of his authority. He puts shoes on his feet. They were the mark of a free man, not a slave. And then he says, let's start the party. And Jesus says, that's the heart of God the Father for you. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, it does not matter. 
However bad it seems to you, if you just turn, the Father longs more than anything to run to you right now and embrace you. However long you've been living in a distant country, maybe it's just a little while, maybe it's a long time, right now is the time to come home. So I wanna invite you to just spend the next few moments saying to God whatever it is that you need to say to him. Maybe you're aware today that you've been kind of playing around with temptation for a while and you realize what the consequences could be and you just wanna stop right now. Maybe you've already taken some steps away from the Father. Maybe uh, there's a, a pattern of sin going on in your life and you need to acknowledge it and confess it right now and put a stop to it before you move any further. Maybe you're in great pain. Uh, maybe there's guilt or hurt from what you've done and you need to come to your senses. You need to come home to the Father. Maybe you've been living for a while like a hired servant and you long to know the embrace of God as a son or a daughter that is just loved and you need to tell him that. So this is your time to come home. Michaela and the team are gonna play a song and while they do, I'd like you to just take the next few moments to say to God whatever it is that you need to say to him. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.